You're listening to the Mind Takeaway podcast with your hosts, Mira and Peter. We held leadership roles, lived in different countries, and had diverse careers spanning the music industry, online technology companies, and the medical sector. Now, we develop coach and mental leaders, creative professionals, and entrepreneurs who want to regenerate, improve, and transform the world around them, and inspire others to do the same. In each episode, we explore what happens when you tap into your intuition, creativity, and connection with others. We do this through having deep, fun, and insightful conversations with ordinary people who are doing extraordinary things. Hello, we are in our neighborhood in Prenzlauberg, Berlin. We're just getting some fresh air, and it's a really nice day. It's, it's cool because it's, uh, it's probably about to rain, hopefully won't get too wet or get the mic wet. But um, yeah, it's nice because it's fresh. It's been really warm, like 28, 29 degrees every day. And it's actually really cool to see that Berlin's finally waking up from months and months of lockdown and restrictions. I'm really excited about this episode. It's, uh, it's definitely been one of our favorites and I think it's uh, close to Mira's heart as well with her being a refugee and having a similar experience to our two guests. Yeah, we spoke with doctors Detina and Argita Zali. They're both scientists and, uh, and, and one of the reasons why we got so interesting in their story is, is because they had I guess similar background as me. They were refugees from the age of 12, and um, and despite all of the problems and difficulties and some horrendous experiences in the past, that didn't stop them uh, to achieve some pretty amazing stuff in life. And at the same time, it made them really compassionate. Uh, towards other humans and and so today they they do some pretty amazing stuff isn't it yeah so without further ado i'll let mira give them both a proper intro <laughs> yeah so um so we spoke with Dr. Detina and Argita Zali. They're both scientists and senior lecturers at imperial college london and university of oxford Dr. Gita is currently a teaching and learning specialist lead in the Faculty of Medicine and Dr. Detina is in University of Oxford as a lead for course in precision cancer medicine. Uh, they also funded a non-profit institution uh, called We Speak Science, aiming to increase awareness of science and medicine in the USA and Europe. They also started a charity, Aferdita Ime, collaborating with other world-class oncologists and scientists whose aim is to help cancer patients through psychosocial support and counseling. And as I said uh, earlier, like me, Detina and Argita were both refugees at the age of 12. They lost everything and had to flee their countries together with their parents to survive and have a chance in life. And um, we all hope that you're going to enjoy listening to this episode. Okay, so welcome everyone to another episode of the Mind Takeaway podcast. And we have Detina and Argita. Did I pronounce that right there? Perfectly. Are you sure yeah. you've just been nice to yeah. me? <laughs> no, you, you did a fantastic job, yeah. Okay. 
So just for people listening, we've already had a really nice conversation with you both. And usually we do this with our guests, you know, just to get to, get to know them a bit better. But I really resonated with what you've said so far in terms of your story. I know that both yourselves and Mira have a similar background. You know, I think it was around the age of 12 where you had to leave your respective countries. So maybe we could explore that. So you're originally both from Albania, is that correct? Yes, yes, it is. We're originally from Albania and um, we left Albania when we were about 12, mm-hmm. um, 12 years old. And that was because in Albania in 1997, if I may say, there was a civil war. Um, what happened is that um, the Albania experienced a financial crisis and monetary Armageddon crashed into this new free market economy that wiped uh, about 60% of the country's wealth overnight. Um, there was a total confusion. All, most of the families lost all, all their money, including my family, all their savings. Um, there were tons of munitions that were looted from the Soviet era armories. And every little boy aged 10 and above had a gun. So the children that we that were our friends that we used to play with after the, the, the Albanian crisis, we could not play with them anymore. We were afraid because everybody had a gun and they were shooting in the air. And the reason why they had them was to protect themselves because you never know what was going to happen. It was a very, very difficult situation. Um, Arkita, if you want to add more information. Yeah, um, I remember um, that experience as if it was yesterday. Mm. There was a sense of insecurity and, and fear that surrounded everyone, not only us as children, but the neighborhood. But I also remember that sense of solidarity where everyone very, was very close together. Mm. Um, every night we used to um, sit by the stairs of, of the flat and the neighbors would, go, would come there as well. We would eat together. And we would always discuss what is the plan for the future? How can we escape Albania? Is there a better future? And if it is, uh, how does it start? What's the next step? And it, it was that first, uh, these conversations that gave us hope. And I remember with, um, with Detina, um, when we, and all the kids um, at the time, we used to stare at the sky, looking for the first bright star, and whoever would spot the first bright star would make a wish, and that wish should come true. So our eyes were up in the sky all the, the wish, time. Yeah, and that wish was already the first wish was uh, we would leave Albania. We would go to the US or, or somewhere else, or Canada or UK. This was our, our wishes. And we'd always fight with the other kids who sees the, <laughs> the first star first. And um, yeah, as Argita said, it was a very, very dramatic experience for little kids as well. For example, that's affected me massively and Argita as well, and I'm sure many other immigrants. Um, for example, the, the way that it has affected me is that, uh, just to explain it in, in simple terms, I'm never late and I always, when I say something, I will always do it. And many people would say, how is this related? It is related because when I was a little kid, because I was afraid to lose my father because of the the guns and the shootings that was happening every day, I would always ask my father, what time are you coming home? And he would say at nine o'clock. And 
I was expecting him home by five to nine or nine the latest. I would stare when it was around eight o'clock. I would sit in a corner of the house, staring at the clock, waiting for it to be nine. And I was also waiting for him to come back because he said that he would come back. And there were there were um, there were times where he was late because something had happened at work or and. It was terrifying for me as a as a kid to experience that mm. to the point where I was going to look. I was looking for him during the nights when there was a lot of shootings and the guns trying to find him. I was scared to death, obviously, because I was only 10 years old mm. alone during the nights in the winter and guns everywhere, shootings in the air. And I the remember my I mother was greater than the fear of losing myself. Mm. And I, I just wanted to add that I remember I was always I've always been a stronger um, sister. I'm five, I'm five minutes um, older than the Tina, but I've always been. I feel like I'm the oldest sister, and she's the youngest sister, regardless <laughs> of how many minutes. Yeah. And I used to think to myself, although the same age as her, now I need to look after her as well. I look. I need to look after her anxieties. And she knew that I would strongly. Um, advise her not to go uh, to the town center by her own or run after an ambulance every time she would see one thinking mm. that that might be there so it was nearly nine i'll just keep my eye on her because i knew what was coming but then my sister was <laughs> double to look after her at the same time about my my father but then I couldn't let the situation get out of my hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as being a twin, we had that strong bone. So I knew that Arkita knew all my tricks. So I had to plan ahead. <laughs> so you become a great fast. planner. Very, only needed, I only needed 30 seconds. During 30 seconds or 60 seconds, I had that amount of time to escape from the house, to do everything I could, because I know that she was always with me. So that that was that's that's when I started to to perfectly plan my <laughs> way out in the yeah. sense of that. Wow. You know, it's so interesting that, yeah, adversity. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't plan it that way, obviously, because, you know, no one, especially a child, wants to go through that experience. But it's interesting, isn't it, that that kind of carries you forward. And I remember you were saying that um, what I'm curious to ask you is you ended up in the UK. Can you... And I know that you've told Mira and I the story, but can you just explain how that even happened after, you know, because I know that your country, it was escalating. It was clearly not safe for you as children, but for anyone, for that matter, for your family. And obviously your father got you out of there, right? Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Um, and to be honest, our first plan was to not to go to UK, was to go to Canada. So mm-hmm. I remember as if it was yesterday, it was myself, well, my family and the neighbors downstairs on the second floor. They had planned this all out. So the plan was we'd go to Canada and we'd go during the festive season, during Christmas holidays. The reason for that is because they mentioned that police officers, due to the busy nature of the, the, of the season, they don't really check the documents um, uh, in, in great detail as they would otherwise when they're less busy. So that was the plan. And I remember my, my mom speaking to her friend and my dad, uh, trying to meet these people that would issue us with a, with a visa, but then it didn't, it didn't end up uh, anywhere because the amount of money that they required was too much and they couldn't afford it. 
Um, and I remember speaking to, talking to Detina at the time, saying that, oh God, another time our dreams are crushed. This is, we should stop believing because this will never happen. But then eventually uh, my dad found another route, again, through the neighbors, because we used to talk a lot to the neighbors. At that time, it was, it was like we were all um, one big family. Mm. Um, and um, our neighbor had found this doctor um, who had um, who was directing a group of um, people that would bring illegal refugees to the UK. Mm. And my dad was curious about the idea of a doctor leading a group. Um, and uh, this was further confirmed by the fact that uh, the friend of dad, our neighbor, told him that this time the, the journey is secure. It doesn't involve any speedboats. You just need to get a, a visa. You need to, um, and a regular visa. You're going to go there as a businessman, and your wife is going to be a businesswoman, and your children will be on, on the passport of, of your wife. So my dad was intrigued by this conversation. So he said, okay, well, let's go and meet the doctor. So they went the next day to Tirana, which is the capital of Albania. Um, and the doctor was very serious. He knew what he was talking about. And he told my dad that um, if you give me $18,000, I will definitely issue you with a the regular visa and your wife. And you shouldn't have any problems getting there. You'd go to the UK by plane. And that's it. I can reassure you that 100% this is a guaranteed um, journey and it's all safe um, and no danger is involved. Tina, um, do you want to continue? Yeah, but obviously that, that, was not, um, that was not true. We ended up um, traveling initially to, the, to Italy and then we went from Italy to France and where we was first faced with the trucks, <laughs> the big trucks uh, that uh, would export food, mostly animal food from, from Calais or Boulogne to Folkestone or over, which is in Kent in the UK. And um, we were told that the only way to the UK was by the trucks. And obviously we were shocked. There were people there sleeping outside for three months um, until they had the chance to go inside the trucks. So we slept many, many different nights in the cold uh, outside. And, um, and then after many, many, um, many attempts, we did manage to get inside the trucks. I remember very well Argita and myself hiding underneath the trucks. And this was happening at uh, 12.30, 1 o'clock in the night. We had about one minute and a half to go from, from the fence that we had to climb in order to go to the to the trucks to come inside the trunk because this is where the the guards would exchange the shifts the police officers and it was very terrifying for us as well because um normally the police would uh, in in the mind of a little child the police in albania would hit you would put you in the prison would torture people and we we're also thinking what what happens if they catch us mm. What will happen to our father? What will happen to us? Obviously, coming from this dramatic experience, it was very, very dramatic for us. But we did manage to go inside. And then after that, we ended up in England. Mm. Can, I, can I just add something as well? Um, so um, I just wanted to highlight that we were only told that this journey is not going to go by plane an hour before the journey. Wow. So um, my dad, we, we, our uncles were 
very noble but strong men, let's say, in, in, in the town of Patos. So they would know everyone. And we then later realized that this doctor, uh, this was a completely illegal group with people that were violent and we had no idea who we were, who we were dealing with. Mm. So my uncle, I remember my uncle saying to my dad, okay, you have two choices. Do not go. This is what I'm telling you. Um, we just get the money back and let's go back home. But if that happened, if we had to refuse that, um, then you, you never knew what was going to happen, mm. especially mm. at the time of the civil war where everyone had a gun um, in the mind of my dad and ourselves, we were like, if this, if we go back home and um, we ask them for the money back, they'll probably shoot us. Mm. And this could be terribly. This could go in in a in a very horrible way. It can it can end up really badly. So just, my dad is a very is a very calm man by nature, and he said to my uncle, "Actually, let's give it a go. It is what it is. We're here now. Uh, we got the luggages. Let's give it a go and see what happens." Mm. but it was it was a journey of of hell i would describe as well mm. uh, what um, as when we went from um from um uh, milan to paris as well mm. so we had to go to italy by ferry and then from italy we stayed there 3 days and then from italy we went to um we went to paris where we were expecting one of these men um which were part of this mm. illegal group to be waiting for us there and show us around he didn't show up until after five hours so we were left in paris uh, a la gare station for six hours was, and we, there were drug men everywhere asking if we wanted any drugs mm. and this is where my dad lost it yeah, he called yeah. my uncle and he said yeah go go ahead so basically we were expecting this guy uh, from 12 o'clock until three o'clock during the night we were alone in the in the in the Paris um, train station. Young people asking us, "Do you want drugs? Do you want drugs?" This is the first ever time we were abroad, and the first ever time we we were exposed to mm. you know drugs and stuff like this. And then um, the guy shows up after three and a half hours, so three thirty in the morning. And I always he was just standing in front of us, and I was saying to my father and my family i think it's that guy over there but then my father would say he sees us he knows that you're twins he knows that we what we're wearing so if it was him he would probably come to us we learned later that he was a big drug killer and the police was looking for him during that day one hour before he met us so imagine how wrong this could have gone for us if we were caught with him in the taxi and then we we learned everything the next morning about um what everything has happened mm. and um, i just want to say something in terms of um the refugees nobody mm. wants to go illegally to another country yeah. nobody wants to be called a refugee but if your life is at stake then you have to find a way to get out of there if there is no opportunity. Mm. This is what I wanted to ask you. Uh, I I lived in Middle East since I was 24. And and this is when the Syrian, the, the problems in Syria started. And we have we had some refugees over there, but not, not so much. Uh, and then I came to Berlin in 2016, ne, 2015, and this was, was a big wave of refugees then from Africa and from Middle East. And I remember, I, I wasn't aware of it at the time, but 
through some reflection a little bit later on, it really, really affected me. The whole thing just started the whole story again for me. And lots of my own insecurities and fears and beliefs uh, that were quite predominant at the time uh, and about myself as a refugee uh, kind of bubbled up again. I was wondering, did, did you have any triggers yourselves? We always have triggers. I'm, uh, to be honest with you, I think my experiences have left me, to be honest, in a way, we're always insecure. No mm. matter what we accomplish, mm. no matter how many great things we do, that sense of insecurity still is within us mm. because it's part of how we were grown up. It's part mm. of the experience that we've gone through. And um, it's also that sense of judgment. Oh, I'm being judged mm. because I can um, relate to that. Yeah. It has it has dramatically affected us. Mm -hmm. What do you think, Argita? Do you? I, I agree, um, especially if, if uh, we, we came in England when we were 13 years old. So we were teenagers, just teenagers. Mm -hmm. So we went to the English school and we were the first refugees there. And it, it does the bullying that went along for a long time. It does affect you. It affects your insecurities. It mm -hmm. adds up your fears and it makes you feel like you're not worth it. Mm. Um, and I actually remember an episode when I was doing my GCSEs, um, myself and Detina were A-star students, but one of my friends, let's say a class friends was like, you are, you are going to fail this exam. You are not going to pass it. Wow. And I was crying to myself. I went to the toilet and I was just crying because I couldn't understand why she said that. It does hurt you. Although mm. I got uh, the highest grade in the class, mm. uh, it's, uh, it does affect you and it leaves you, it marks you. Yeah. Uh, to the point that you're never, conf you're never confident. Mm. You're always trying to prove yourself to other people and you're always um, conscious that they might not like you or that they might judge you. You might not be good at something. Mm. When, we should when we should all know that um, not everyone is good at everything. You are good at uh, something, but you don't have to be good at everything mm. to be liked or to be successful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and Werder, it was, I mean, now you are scientists, both of you, doctors. One of you is, um, was it Detina, that you're senior lecturer in, in uh, uh, cancer medicine, correct? Yes, yes, <clears throat> precision cancer medicine, yes. Um, yeah, we've, I have to say, we have been going through a long journey. <laughs> My, Arikita and I, we did... Um, we both got our PhDs in the UK. Then mm. I moved to Boston, where I mm. was, where I first initiated my postdoctoral studies at Harvard School of Dental Medicine. Then I worked as a lecturer, where I was directing different courses, and um, and many different conferences, such as Harvard Leadership Conference or Harvard Lectures at Last. And um, and now I'm back in the UK. And um, I think for us, it also worked because we are very close to each other and we strongly supported each other during the time where we were most fragile. And obviously everybody breaks. We have broken, we have fallen. Then mm. we've started to crawl and walk and run. And again. again. <laughs> so this is a cycle of life that yeah. happens to everyone. And, um, but you know, in a way, we are grateful to our experiences because we relate very much to people. I think we are very, 
no matter where they are from, because we have our experiences, we relate very much to them and um, and understand from from different people's perspective, mm. and that has helped us very much, I would mm. say. And and Argit, sorry, Peter, <laughs> you are about to say something. Just one one thing that was on my mind, um, Argita, you're teaching and learning specialist in Imperial College in UK, correct? That's correct. Wow. That's correct. I mean, I can't even imagine how that looks mm. like. Stand. I mean doing the work you do does it how does it feel like the realization that you've that all those wishes that you had as a child are there like that, that, that you you are probably now doing things that you could have never imagined yeah i, I think we don't even realize it mm. i think uh, we still don't really realize uh, where we are and what we we're do, we do we just follow our passion and i think all the fears and insecurities mm. push you further mm -hmm. uh, make you stronger make you more determined and like the tina said i'm very um determined and driven if i say i will do something i will do it no matter what and um it's, it's this uh, strength and determination also coming from a disadvantaged background. Maybe mm. it's an advantage at some extent because you, are, you know what's around you and you, you know where you want to go to. Mm. But many people don't even know where they want to go. They can't see that uh, future ahead of them because they haven't gone through those experiences that we've had um, to go through. But it also makes you um, a people's person. Um, it, um, it highlights, it, it improves and develops your communication skills mm -hmm. and how to listen to other people mm -hmm. and um, how to be understanding and um, how to be empathetic, um, as well as so the human side um, exposes the human side more, I would say, um, than it would have if we didn't have those experiences. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, when I look at your profiles, there's Harvard, Oxford, MIT, you know, it, we, we, if, if we hadn't have spoken to you. We should say we got a little bit insecure because before this conversation, <laughs> did we? I'm joking. No, but you, you could do it. You know, when you read anyone, a stranger, and you're not strangers to us now, so I'm grateful that we yeah. always have these conversations to get to know you at a deeper level. You know, I can see that you're very deeply compassionate, loving people, that as you say, you went through adversity. And let's be honest, that's the driver, right? Because Mira and I were talking about resilience and it's something we always help our clients with, you know, day in, day out. But we're also saying to people, and I know it's innocent, right? But you can't really practice resilience, right? That's Life correct. gets in the way, you go through trials, adversity. And, you know, if you could play it again, you might not want to go through that. But I'm guessing, and I'll ask you both, even though you went through all of that really harrowing stuff and you were in really, you know, really challenging, scary situations where, yeah, let's be honest, you could have got, you know, hurt, lost your life, you know, anything could have happened. But would you really change that considering the wonderful work that you do? And the second one, sorry, it's a bit of a long one. How did you end up getting into leading the COVID research as well? Yeah. Um, so for the first question, um, obviously nobody wants to go mm. through that experience, to be honest, Peter. And uh, for us, it was a very dramatic experience. And probably as a child, children are happy when they when you buy them a present or a bike or anything. For me, every every time that I saw my dad coming home, that was a big present. It was like mm. I had won the the green card lottery to go to the USA. 
Mm-hmm. It was a, and people would say, wow, he's just your dad is coming from work. But that was, yes, mm-hmm. and he was coming. So um, obviously I would not want to go through that again. Mm-hmm. And I would want to have a, like a very peaceful and happy childhood, just like other children. And uh, Argita, what would you say about yours? Well, I'm, I'm gl- actually, Peter, it's, it's good that you mentioned this because I asked my dad a month ago. Mm. Dad, I told him, if you had to um, think about what we went through again, would you make the same decision? And he said, absolutely. Wow. I will make the same decision because you are where you are because of this journey that mm. uh, took us um, to, to the UK. And I said to him, but look what happened to us. Look at that. And I was talk- talking to him about uh, all the episodes. And he was like, absolutely, I would do it over and over again. Um, for me, I would definitely go on the journey again, um, despite the challenges that I faced. I would obviously change a few episodes uh, throughout this journey. I wouldn't want to go through some specific events. Mm. But um, if, I had, uh, if, I, if someone told me this is the journey, this is where you're going to go. Are you willing to uh, get on the, the train again and do mm. the same things? I would probably say I would. Mm. Because um, I think uh, Detina and I both are, before being anything else, we are both fighters. And when I asked my dad, and he was like, what do you want to do? When he asked me when I was young, what do you want to do um, when, you, when you get older? I told him, I want to be a fighter. And I think we're all fighters. Mm. This is the basic um, skill that everyone should have because in order to go through life, you have to be a fighter. Yeah. And um, I think in a way, Peter, since you asked this question, it's good that we were lied about going to the UK with the airplane because if they had told us, we'd probably say, no, we're not going (laughs) towards that route. I was reading a paper about a month ago, um, which was published in one of the pap- in newspapers in the UK about the refugees and about the trucks, how still people are trying mm-hmm. to go through there. And when I saw those people, I felt like, in a way, like hurt because I've been one of them and mm-hmm. not all the refugees are, but people like many of them have accomplished outstanding, brilliant stuff. And, um, this is just to say that those trucks for us saved our life. Mm-hmm. Those trucks were the airplane, were our rockets. That was our dream. And mm-hmm. thanks to those trucks, we came here and we are where we are now. And I repeat, although nobody wants to mm-hmm. go illegally to any country, nobody wants to go to the traumatic journey, many of which went with the speedboats and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, sometimes people don't have a choice where their country doesn't give any other opportunities, but to leave, to escape is their only route to, to, mm-hmm. to a better life, to mm-hmm. surviving. Yeah. And I'm grateful that you did all three of you, to be fair, because going through that kind of adversity made you do amazing things. And yes, it shouldn't be that that makes you do that, right? But I'm glad that that happened because... Yeah, it's good for people to hear this and it's the advantage of those disadvantages, right? And no one wants to land in a country that way. But if you haven't got a choice, then I think this is good for people to hear that you're going to fight for, you know, a better life. And I'm I'm glad that all three of you did because you've all 
collectively done amazing things. And yeah, so that we don't always see. Yeah, <laughs> but but this is what is um this are the goosebumps for me because I'm not a refugee. So I grew up in a very safe environment in the UK and just decided to live in other people's countries and that was challenging to me, but nothing compared to what you what all three of you went through. Mm -hmm. But yeah, going back to COVID as a label because this yes, is still sorry, going I, on. Yeah. Yes, I forgot. Yeah. No, no, it's fine. I, I mean, it was quite a long process yeah. that I was asking so, for. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Argit and I, we were very happy. We've been working with some scientists from Harvard, MIT, and um, we we're doing actually, we were doing secondary research. Mm. Um, a lot of papers are now being published in about COVID mm. and it's very important to filter those information. Because now, especially in the last year and a half, everybody's working on COVID now. So um, scientists from China, scientists from Japan, from all over the world are publishing pretty much every single week mm -hmm. uh, a new paper. So what we've been working on is um, trying to read the information, to filter this information, to see whether it's significant or it's not significant and to gather the latest key findings to write um, um, a very good paper, which will um, help scientists understand more, but also medics in the treatment of, of um, COVID-19. Mm -hmm. Wow, very valuable, yeah, because there's so much information, which is great, but grabbing all of those data points and making it meaningful and something that's, as you say, crucially readable for everyone in the medical field. Because let's yeah. be honest, not everyone's a scientist. So how can you decipher <laughs> all of that overwhelming information, right? Yeah. Just, I just wanted to add that um, mostly my role has been um, communication with um, Albanian media, mainly mm. in terms of, uh, of the COVID situation. Mm. In Albania, you have a lot of people who um, would look at us, myself and Tina, for any um, kind of key information mm -hmm. uh, because we, we, we are scientists. Although we don't, um, we don't perform laboratory experiments at the moment, uh, we have a, a PhD in immunology and uh, cancer biology. Oh. So um, we, we search all this information. We've been in close contact with the media, informing people about the latest updates, um, advices, guidelines. And uh, we have, yeah, we, I think we've had a, a significant impact over the past 12 months uh, in the Albanian society. And it's been very... Macedonia and Kosovo. Yeah, mm. and Kosovo as well, Macedonia, and, and uh, it's uh, it's been very um, rewarding and fulfilling experience to know that uh, people can rely on us as one of the sources of information and to help as many as we could. Uh, ladies, you wrote a book that is waiting for publishing, and it's called yeah. Good Morning Hope, yeah. and it just reminded me of. Um, one of the quotes uh, that um, that I've re read in one of the books of Sidney Banks uh, that says, actually, this is how his book starts. It says, with a little bit of hope and love, anything is possible. And that's that's what just crossed my mind when I when I uh, when I heard about the book. But can you tell us a little bit about it? Was the like, can you yeah. actually? Is it allowed? To <laughs> Of course, of course, yes, absolutely. So it's basically it's our life story. It's um, everything started when we were little kids in Albania. The situation, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the dramatic story that we went through, and then the many journeys that we tried to to leave Albania 
um, and to come to the UK. Obviously, our dream was to go to Canada or USA. So we'd always um, legally, so we'd always um, try the lottery, but that never worked out. Mm. And until we had to take more, you know, um, different measures. Uh, prostitution in Albania at that time was also very, a very, a very scary thing that was going on among the young girls who would be taken to Italy and to Greece, forced, um, forced um and lied to and tortured to 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 work like prostitutes so that the people um would earn money the evil people of the bands and um obviously all these factors as we've explained made us go to the uk so in the uk we also talk about responsibilities that we um, we get we would we expected um going to the uk a very happy place it was safe but it was a little bit different from our expectations because as soon as we landed in the UK, we changed roles, we became adults. So we became adults of our parents because it was our Gitandai who spoke English and our parents didn't. So we had to do pretty much everything. We had to find a house when we were 13 years old. We had to meet with solicitors, with social services. We had to translate um, uh, in the hospitals about many different immigrants who didn't understand English. And at the top of that, we had to work and go to school. Well, it was, was a choice. A... It was a choice, I would say, for work. Um, uh, it, it was a choice, our choice to work at 13 years of age. Um, and, uh, and um, you know, being uh, at school, uh, going through all that bullying at work, our life was hectic. And we didn't recognize ourselves. And so we kind of lose our childhood. And the book mm. is about the challenges we face and how we overcame those challenges. Mm, you know, I'm just sorry. You know what I'm curious about. So, I mean, yeah, it, it just happened, right? And you were happy to do that because you were once you knew you were safe. You know, I'm sure it was much easier than what you had to go through, right? So yeah. it just made sense just to do it and and get on with it, right? Whereas, yeah. let's be honest, if you've grown up uh, in a safe environment, it, that hasn't happened. It just wouldn't make sense. So now that you both have kids. And again, I'm I'm just curious. I take it you would want your children to have a full childhood rather than becoming an adult, you know, having to become an adult at 13. Or is that the case? Or I'm just curious. I mean, really. I, yeah. I definitely want my kids to enjoy their ch childhood. But I would still, um, when they're 14 years old, I would still them, want them to take responsibilities mm. and start working just because it makes you stronger and also uh, makes you appreciate life mm. and understand that uh, money doesn't grow on trees and that you have to work hard to achieve your dreams uh, and ambitions. So one of the things that I was talking to Tina is exactly about that. Because I remember when we were their age and I have a, a two sons, a three-year-old and a one-year-old that Tina has one, almost five-year-old and a three-year-old. Uh, we didn't have anything. We just had a, um, a doll, which we, we sh well, actually we had two dolls. And they would stay in a cupboard that my mom put. We, would no, we were not allowed to charge them because they were the, let's say, the... Decorating our houses. Decorating our house. And I remember it was snowing one day and my dad said, oh, well, I'm just going to give you the doll. Just don't go out. <laughs> so we had, because he, he was scared that we were going to get the cold. So yeah. we just had nothing, almost nothing. And uh, we, we, we grew... Um, very uh, like like we are. We are very down to earth, and we work hard, and 
uh, our kids have almost everything and uh, i always fight with detina over this detina please don't buy them any lollipops <laughs> or it's just yeah. about the thing that um you you don't want to you don't want to give them everything that they want you just I, want them to earn yeah. it i was i was uh -huh. speaking to my oldest son destin um a week ago and i was telling him about the children in africa and i was showing him also, look, these people, they don't have many toys, so you have to share, you have so many toys. And he understood that and he said, okay, mom, I'm not going to ask you any toys, give it to them, give it to them. <laughs> so we, we, we've planned to make sure to introduce our kids to, to the surrounding world so that they don't, so that they appreciate everything, although it's difficult. So that we would not expect them to, to be the same as us because we've been going through the dramatic experience and we don't want them to but it's very important for us so that they understand how lucky they are and to be more open-minded and to be generous and mm. help other people mm. you know what just crossed my mind uh is it nicholas taleb's book uh anti-fragile where he talks about uh, the fact that humans become uh anti-fragile uh with being exposed to adversity and uh, and it's interesting to me and this this conversation kind of goes to that direction at least in my eyes is that the the fact that we went through all of that we are much easier dealing with any other uncertainty that comes along yes we get insecure yes it's scary it's all of that but it doesn't kind of stop us we, we don't just stop and and you know and freeze and do nothing we don't just look for other people to make is make it good for us we don't blame others we're more compassionate does it that is so true that resonates perfectly mm. and that's funny right because a lot of people say oh um she's like that because she's gone through a lot of uh, she's tough and she's rude because she's gone through a lot in her life it's actually the opposite with me and the Tina, we're just, mm. we're softer and we, we're um, very empathetic and we try to help uh, as many people as, as we can, just because of our experiences, just because we know what it means to be under certain circumstances. Mm. So yeah, it's, it's, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily re agree that it makes you anti-fragile. Well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, life's always going to get you in some way, right? I think what Mira's pointing to is it's just, if you just turn up and do life, you know, and just enjoy that journey, you're more likely to be able to deal with uncertainty. And when things knock you off balance, you're just more likely to bounce back. I think that's what you meant. Yeah, but yeah, absolutely. no no one is completely um, impervious to things toppling them if that makes sense yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. what i wanted to ask you both as well is so what's happening now again i was a bit nosy curious trying to work out what was happening for you both at the moment and uh do you have an ngo because it looked like you were doing some work in your respective country again and helping yeah. your neighbors with because uh, i know there's a focus in your work about cancer and yeah. the research and all of that but it looks like at the moment you're starting to work on a, is it a project to help people who are suffering from cancer right now? Yeah, yeah so we basically um, created a non-profit charity. Basically, mm. it's a charity for people who are suffering from cancer in Albania, Kosovo and Macedonia. And the reason we did that is because in Albania and 
uh, a lot of people suffer in silence. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't understand much about the disease itself. Mm. They don't have much information. There's a very lack of big lack of inf- information about diseases such as cancer. And um, many of the people over the years contact us secretly, uh, trying to find as much as they can. Mm. And um, during the past five years, we've helped everyone. Um, the, all, all the people actually that have written to us, I can confirm that we have replied almost to, to 99% of them <laughs> and trying to give them advice and um, support. And we thought it would be a great idea to uh, found this charity called Aphrodita Ime. Mm. And um, it's this name because our mom is going through some the, the same experience as well. and. We just want to be too empathetic to other people as well. And we are gathering the leading scientists, the leading doctors who can share with them information mm. on a monthly basis initially. So we are gathering every um, every month, but hopefully in the future, uh, it will be weekly so we can support them as much as we can. This, this is, I just want to highlight, this is the first center ever created in Albania. And it was very well received. Uh, it opened last uh, last uh, month, mm-hmm. where we had the first session. It was pr- pretty successful. Um, we are uh, making sure that everyone gets as much information as possible, and also about the treatment and counseling, psychological support. Mm. As Detina mentioned, that uh, a lot of people suffer in silence. So, mm. how do we build a community that can support one another? and um, can uh, make the best out of the situation that they're currently at. Mm, Absolutely. Community, so important. Yeah, just having that support structure because there's only two of you, right? And it's how can that ripple outwards, that change, and for people to realize that they have to support each other. And then that's how it grows, right? And hopefully it has a a life of its own. It just starts to be more organic, right? Exactly. So... What else? Because <laughs> honestly, I've loved this conversation. So thank you. I mean, we could probably go on for hours now. Oh, yeah. But, uh, oh, yeah. What else is happening for you two? Anything else you want to share? Yeah. It's a very busy period at the <laughs> oh, moment, can... also being busy yeah. mums. Um, as with as all other mums, you, you struggle a lot when your kids are unwell. So for the past three weeks, uh, I have been to the hospital almost eight times. Wow. Okay. So um, it's, it's uh, any mom would, would un- understand. So it's just trying to manage and balance everything, you know, work, charity, family, kids. Uh, sometimes you, you're asking yourself, um, am I focusing too much on work? Am I not spending enough time with family, with, with my husband, with, with the kids? And the answer to that is that you never get it right, <laughs> but uh, you try your best. Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah. that's great for people to hear, right? That it, it you know, no you're one. You're ha- human. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a, you're allowed but to mess things up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If you do, if you do too well in something, you haven't done too well in the other thing. <laughs> so if you're focusing yeah. on work, then obviously you haven't been focusing fully at your family and vice versa. But Arkita and I, we try to be. We are very presence mom mm. and we try to be with our kids as much as we can. We work during the night just to make mm. sure that when they come back from school, we are spending time with them. Mm. So um, they're our priority, but we try to do, we're trying to fit in everything. Like just like any other busy parent, I guess, mm. yeah. who is working. Uh, what I'm hearing here, you didn't say it, 
specifically. But what I'm hearing is that compassion towards ourselves because we don't, we're not perfect, nobody's perfect. We all do the best that we can uh, with what's available. And like your parents did when they decided to leave and what my parents did, what Peter's parents did, and, and then now we are doing the same. But I think that's, that's really important to have that compassion towards ourselves and, and, and people around us. Yeah. Yeah. And what we always do, we always ask, ask our guests towards the end. Well, not always, but sometimes. And I think for you to, again, I'm just super curious. Is yeah. any part of wisdom for people listening? So whether it's people who've just arrived in a country and they're like, wow, yeah, I, I really resonate with what you've said. Or on the other side of the fence, people who are a little bit, you know, apprehensive of someone foreign landing in the land and gone through adversity. And they're like, well, okay, I get that. And I've got some compassion and empathy but you know why should it be here if that makes sense you know yeah so i mean um the message that i would send like that i would give to uh, people that i always give to my students as well is pretty much a simple message that should resonate with everyone dreams don't work unless you do <laughs> so if you really want something wow, you have to yeah. work on it there's nothing really magic <clears throat> that will happen tomorrow or that you will be super powerful or uh, super smart, you have to work. It's a, it's a long journey. You need to take step by step. Sometimes the steps may be longer, sometimes shorter. It really depends on the situation and the circumstances and how much you give. But as long as you keep going forward, you will see the light. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm already reflecting on that one. So thank you. That's a good one. Nargita, yeah. <laughs> uh, from you? I mean... For me, it's, um, I'm just going to quote one of the, my, my favorite mother, Teresa's quote. And she said, not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. So no matter who you are and what you do, you can do amazing, significant things with great love. Yeah. And, and I all wanted to add up to what Argita said is because success is, means different things for everybody. Mm. For me, and I guess uh, for many other people, success is nothing to do with how many degrees you have or how many success, how, how many money, how much money you're making or how, how successful you are. For me, success, it has to do with how happy you are with what you're doing. Mm. As long as you're happy and you are doing great, then, then, then you are successful. So it's the amount, how much you give to people. If giving to people makes you happy and if you have a very nice job, then you are successful. It doesn't mean that um, somebody very famous, somebody who has billion of dollars is more successful than you. Mm. So I relate it to happiness. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's interesting. I, th I think we all know lots of people that have a lot that uh, can, can make lots of, lots of other people very miserable. Uh, so <laughs> it's quite the opposite. Yeah. And also there's people who are very well off and rich who are just really yeah. super miserable and not happy. Yeah. And, yeah, and they feel empty, right? Mm -hmm. so, I, yeah, think, so, yeah. I just wanted to add to that, you know, it's, it's also about feeling accomplished as mm -hmm. women. Mm -hmm. uh, talking about women now, I would say success. I want to be uh, accomplished with my career. Um, I, I have a full-time job. At the same time, I, I did a master's degree while working full-time and looking after kids. And uh, Actually, I, I, I want to interrupt you that 
and looking after kids. She didn't look after her kids. My parents and I helped her look after the kids. <laughs> so you of did, course, with plenty of support. And I just wanted to stress that that you didn't do everything <laughs> like with because a lot of women might feel how did she do that? She worked. She masters. She has kids. Wow. So you had a lot of support and and uh, and I I was one of the people who supported you. <laughs> I just want to. Of course. I mean, I always I always highlight it. But this is Bettina being jealous. This is where the twin fight starts. This is Bettina so, being jealous yeah, because so I have for, a masters. Yeah. So just for people listening, this is the this is the twins escalated now. So. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, but it, no. I, I think it's great for people to hear that because you know support or not what you two have achieved you know it's just mind-boggling and to have you know a young family as well to support and as you say i think it's good for people to hear that you can be successful but if you don't focus on you know your family life then it can really slip and as you yeah, say it's not easy right for people listening mm -hmm. to be successful you know there's always going to be challenges but if you choose to do what you do and support your family you know there is for people listening, that's the positive. There's a way forward, right? Yeah, and and, and that's yeah. That's family is crucial. It's the first important because no matter where you go, if you don't have that foundation, which is a family, what's left? Yeah, and 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 that's what what got you through everything, isn't it? It's it's that support and and what you mentioned in the very beginning, that community, and and that's one of the things that. Um, I don't know, I, I kind of, maybe it's just my take on, on the conversation and, and the experience is that when, when we are all under lots of, I would say, pressure, faced with adversity, faced with big challenges as a society, when, when it's not just me alone, but, but all of us, you mentioned that your neighbors, it was like a family and you probably wouldn't have experienced that otherwise. I've experienced that as well. Uh, and, and I think, you know, COVID and, and all of these things, it's, it's when people let go of their personal, if I say ego, it will be too psychology based or whatever. But when we let go of our personal, we connect as human beings. Yeah. And it's so rewarding. It's so, you know, two of us have more power than one. Like two of you. That's very have, true. Yeah. Yeah. And I just wanted to add something to that, Mira, is that um, um, basically when we go through the challenges that we've all, that we have gone through, um, it, it's a way, in a way, you never know how strong you are until mm. being strong is the only option that you have. Like many people have not had that option still. Mm. And maybe many people that have not experienced what we have, they don't know yet how strong they are because mm. they've never been faced with, um, with those challenges that we have been faced. Yeah, that's a really valuable point that we really don't know how strong we are and what's in the tank in terms of mm. our own resilience until things happen to us, right? Yes. Yeah. Thank you for thank yeah. you for saying this. Yeah. yeah. So if people are curious about the research that you do or just want to reach out to you because they've really loved hearing your stories, where's the best yeah. place to contact you both? So we are um, we are um, always. Um, 
we are social friendly so <laughs> we have our facebook account and instagram account um with our names and names mm. and we are more than welcome to um or they can also contact us in our we speak science this is a non-profit institution that we have and that aims to enhance scientific um research uh help students also mm. medics connect with each other but at the same time we're also helping uh disadvantaged families mm. people who um are immigrants and who need support in terms of uh, work mm. and we're very passionate about science we're both scientists so we are really promoting stem in the uk in the us so worldwide pretty much oh okay that's great. we'll make sure we put all the links for sure yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. I mean, this has thank been an so amazing much. conversation. Thank you very much. It's been, really it's been an, it's a, we've really enjoyed um, speaking to you guys. And thank you for asking all those clever questions that uh, <laughs> makes you reflect about the journey that you've been through and um, the challenges and how you overcame them. Thank you very much. You made it to the end of this episode and we appreciate that. So thank you. If you're looking for coaching, want to develop your leadership skills, improve your team's performance, get more creative or strengthen your business relationships, please check our website www.themindtakeaway.com or drop us an email info at themindtakeaway.com for more details. We would love to hear from you.